All right. Uh, well, here's a Christmas question for you. What did Jesus do on the first Christmas? Now, physically, right, he probably cried or something. I mean, he came out of his mom at that point. Uh, but what did he do by coming to the world just by the nature of showing up? What got accomplished in that? So we're going to turn in the Bible to John chapter 1. We'll read a few verses, and then we're going to zoom in on one particular verse that I think gives us the answer. While you're turning to John 1, I was thinking about the, uh, I think it was something that Jill said a little earlier, the, uh, whether you feel in the Christmas spirit or not. I won't have you raise your hand, but just do a little self-assessment. Do you currently right now feel the Christmas spirit, whatever that means to you? So I was thinking about how when I was a kid, I feel like the Christmas spirit was a solid like 30-day experience for me, right? I mean, I would see the first couple presents I would see the tree go up, I'd start seeing Christmas lights in my neighborhood, and it was just like, wow, everything was Christmas, and it, there was this wonder and magic and bells and reindeer and all sorts of stuff all mixed together. And, uh, and the older that I get, the more I feel like um, it switches from, like, I want to feel that feeling to, like, I hope my kids or at least somebody's kids somewhere are feeling that feeling, right? Because I just feel really busy. I feel like there's all sorts of stuff to do here at the end of the year. Uh, when you take whatever career or school stuff you've got going on, you know, you have to finish a cycle of that. You've got all the ramp up to the holidays as preparation. And it's easy to actually kind of get the spirit lost in all of that and to say, you know, man, I'm kind of looking forward to all this being done. And I don't want that to be in my heart. Uh, but I know that I'm tempted that way sometimes. Maybe you are too. So my prayer for this service and also the Christmas musical program next week and then Christmas Eve service is that for whatever it's worth, the church can help you experience the Christmas spirit, not just so that you feel warm and fuzzy, but so that you actually can turn your attention to Jesus um, and focus in the right place. All right, so I know we're, we, we all have you know, busy calendars potentially here in this month and maybe some stresses and things that are happening that you'd say, I kind of wish my life was different than it was or than it is right now, um, I just want to encourage you to take a deep breath, set that aside. Uh, let's see what God's Word says about what Jesus actually came to do and why we have this whole big global annual celebration of Christmas. All right, so John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in the mindset of the people who were receiving this gospel from John, um, they would think of the word as sort of this ultimate reality. So when, in English, when we think about words, we're probably thinking about words on a page or on a banner or something or something someone speaks. It's a little bit more to it than that in this text because they would think of the word as kind of ultimate truth from which everything else comes. And so John, the author of this, starts from that premise and says, let's talk about the ultimate truth from which everything else comes. Let's talk about the Word. In the beginning, you're right, there's the Word. But guess what? The Word was with God. It wasn't just impersonal force out there or some set of principles. It was actually personal, like God was there. The Word was with God. And then here's the clincher. The Word was God. Right, so as you seek ultimate reality, what are you really seeking? It's not a what, it's a who. Right? You're seeking God. So on that premise then, something's about to happen in the world that changes the course of history. Verse 2, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. 
the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought to light or brought light to everyone the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it god sent a man john the baptist to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony john himself was not the light he was simply a witness to tell about the light the one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world He came to the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. So you just get this picture in your mind that ultimate reality is here. Like Jesus has come, but somehow we missed it. We missed him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I think verse 14 is a wonderful summary of what Jesus did on the first Christmas. Hey, we're going to walk it through, but I want to show you verse 14 in words you might be a little bit more familiar with, okay? So the translation of the text in a few other versions says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word, the ultimate reality, this is the big story of Christmas, the ultimate reality became a human being. That's big news, right? So when you look at the little manger scene, you think about Jesus there, it's not just inspirational. It's not just Christmas card, take a picture. I mean, this is ultimate reality. This is, this is the, the, the universal Lord has become a human being. It's actually come to be part of our world. So what we're going to do is think about, in the, in the phrases of this verse, what Jesus did. Here's the first one. Jesus made physical what everyone thought was only spiritual. So somehow, what people were starting with was this idea that, you know, wow, way out there in the ethereal mindscape somewhere, there's these principles, and these principles are what guide the universe, and and they're really different from us, and they're bigger than our thoughts, and they're really far away. Well, guess what? It's not that way. Jesus made physical what everyone thought was just spiritual. The Word became flesh so that we could really meet God. So when you say, who is God? What is he like? You could open up a theology textbook and think about all the attributes of God that make him different from us. And those might be really inspiring and interesting, but you would leave, if that's all you read about, really discouraged because you'd think, man, God is orders of magnitude more perfect and majestic than I could ever even imagine. And so I'm far from him. There's no way I could know him except for Jesus. Where Jesus, you almost think of Jesus coming to become uh, a little baby in the manger, not as a miracle of expansion, kind of the way creation was, like let all this stuff happen. The miracle of Jesus is a miracle of limitation, where the endless, infinite God actually becomes one of us really mind-blowing that the word would become flesh. Remember in John 14 when one of the disciples was 
maybe even a little bit frustrated as Jesus was talking about the Father and, and where he was going to go next. And the disciple just said to Jesus, hey, why don't you just show us the Father? And Jesus says, what, have you not figured this out yet? Like, I'm here. Like, everything you need to know about God is me. We talked about that quite a bit in our Colossians series over the last few months. Um, everything that, that is God, Jesus is as well. The Word literally became flesh. Now, here's the second phrase of the verse. He made his dwelling among us. Jesus brought near what everyone thought was far away. So if I asked you this question from a, like a very literal geography, geographic perspective, if I said, where is heaven, what would you say? Up there, out there, pretty far away from here, right? That's, we don't really know the answer. I keep hoping that, you know, they put up these super powerful telescopes like the James Webb, and someday they're going to zoom in on something and go, oh, hey, look at that. There's heaven. Um, not sure if it's quite that concrete, that simple, but that'd be fun, right? And, uh, but as far as our perception of where God is, we would be tempted to think it's really, really far from us. So you think of the throne room of God or the power of God or the angelic choir or whatever, and you think, yeah, that's nowhere near me. But Jesus brought near what everyone else thought was far away. He made his dwelling among us. He actually walked among us, slept among us, ate among us. He brought heaven to earth. Now, if we were on the planning committee for Jesus' arrival, how would we plan for this to happen? Right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think, okay, the Lord of the universe is about to arrive. Might be time to repaint the building. Might be time to clean up the trash. Right? I mean, wouldn't you start thinking, like, let's get this thing in order so that, man, we're going to give the deluxe red carpet treatment. In fact, we need to find the best way to present Jesus to the world. Maybe we would come up with a plan like this. Right? Here's the Palace of Versailles over in Europe. Um, say, man, th this would be, from a human perspective, a pretty glorious place to introduce the Messiah. It would make sense, right? Because you want people to know he's important, so you should probably, like, dress up a little bit. should probably be pretty important looking. You might even, if you're on that planning committee, start looking at this and noticing some flaws and thinking, you know what, even, even the most majestic human palace is probably not good enough. We need to build a new one just for this. So you'd get really excited about presenting Jesus with all the tools you have available to make him look great. It's more like this. So how did Jesus arrive? It was more like this, which is not what I would have thought to plan, right? Let's pick, the, let's pick a very lowly, dirty, smelly, humble environment that the masses and the crowds and the kings would not even really know about. Let's, let's talk to shepherds and be surrounded by farm animals. Say, what in the world's going on? Why would Jesus, the Lord of the universe, bring heaven to earth, and yet the whole big story looks like that? So I want to read you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Ever heard of him? He was a famous preacher. Now, he, he has a way with words. And so I want to encourage you, you're going to have to use your mental energy just a little bit and zoom in on what I'm saying because 
It's so great, but if you kind of zone out, you'll miss something, all right? So here we go from Charles Spurgeon. He, wrote, he preached a sermon, The Glory of God in the Face of Christ, and here's what he said. In every incident of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord's anointed, there is much of God to be seen. What volumes upon volumes might be written to show God as revealed in every act of Christ from his birth to his death? I see him as a babe in Bethlehem lying in a manger, and there I perceive a choice glory in the mind of God. Don't know if I see the glory, right? So what does that mean? For he evidently despises the pomp and glory of the world, which little minds so highly esteem. He might have been born in marble halls and wrapped in imperial, imperial purple, but he scorns these things, and in the manger among the oxen, we see a glory which is independent of the trifles of luxury and parade. The glory of God in the person of Jesus asks no aid from the splendor of courts and palaces. Yet, even as a babe, he reigns and rules. Mark how the shepherds hasten to salute the newborn king, while magi from the far-off east bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh and bow at his feet. When the Lord condescends to show himself in little things, he is still royal and commands the homage of all mankind. He is as majestic in the minute as in the magnificent, as royal in the babe of Bethlehem as in later days, in the man who rode through Jerusalem with Hosannas. So God didn't need and didn't want the aid of human ingenuity to make his announcement, to show his glory. He didn't need us to dress it up. He didn't need to prove any points. Because when heaven comes to earth, nothing on earth would be sufficient to show his glory anyway. We come in the most humble way possible so that what we focus on is not, wow, what a, what a beautiful cave. Like, what a fantastic-looking barn. Ah. No, we, we focus on the glory of Jesus himself. Doesn't need help from anything else. Jesus brought near to us, to our world, to our real kind of life. Not, not a big presentation, but actually our real life. He brought the kingdom of God near to that. And here's something else Jesus did. He made visible what everyone thought was hidden. So in John 1.14, he says, we have seen his glory. We've seen it. It's not just we've thought about it, we've theorized about it, we've read about it. We've seen his glory. Jesus made something visible that most people would have thought would be very, very hidden. Or maybe they would think, you know, I need to go to Tibet and meditate for a few years in the mountains before I would ever really see or touch ultimate reality, divine truth. But Jesus just brought it to us right there for us. In the form of a baby. His radiant power, truth, and grace are all there to see. The last thing Jesus brought, at least in this text, he brought together what everyone thought was separate. So the last phrase of the text was Jesus was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and faithfulness. So if you think of the logic of this, those two things could be set apart, right? You could have truth with no hope, with no grace. In fact, Jesus could have come 
with, with you know, maybe some sort of really amped up version of the Ten Commandments, walked right onto the world stage and said, here is the truth. And what would that have done for you? It would have condemned you. There's no grace in law. There's no hope. All it would do is show you the problem. I mean, and we already knew there was a problem. There's truth that needs to be declared. But what Jesus did is he married together truth and grace. So we've seen his glory, and we've also seen him come full of grace and truth, which means that when you encounter the truth, which Jesus never shied away from, he never minced words, he never backed down, you also get to find grace. You also get to find forgiveness and mercy and hope for the future that he was there to provide. So if you're still in John 1, you can turn over uh, probably just one page to John chapter 3, verse 16. And we see this dynamic here in what everyone probably recognizes as the most popular Bible verse, right? John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And for that salvation to be possible, Jesus would have to bring grace and truth together, that's, that's the pathway. So God loved us all so much, he made this possible. Jesus brought together what people would have thought were, we would have thought, hey, we're, we've already blown it, we're always going to be separate from God. There's no way for us to find some sort of redemption. But through grace and truth, Jesus has made it possible. So I want to ask you this question as we start to wrap up here. What is your relationship to Jesus Christ? So you see the manger scene. That's one depiction of Jesus being on earth. You might see Jesus on a cross in another picture. Okay. What is your relationship to him? Now, all of us have one. That is, there's some way in which you might say, I'm, I'm disconnected completely. I say, I'm very far away from God. Maybe you'd say, Jesus is the closest relationship I have. But all of us are on the spectrum somewhere of having a relationship to him. It's just, what is the nature of that relationship? So for you, what is the nature of that relationship? So going back to our verse, verse 14, the word becomes human, the word becomes flesh. If you go up two verses, let's see the setup to that. Jesus comes to the world People are rejecting him. And then look at verse 12. To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So in world history, how many people have had a birth that came from God that was not a result of human passion or plan? Physically, how many people have had that happen? One, maybe two if you want to count Adam, okay. but um, Jesus, right? Jesus was born in a supernatural way. But here's what's fascinating. Jesus comes to this world in a supernatural way, offering rebirth to us as well in a supernatural way. Because if you want to be in on what Jesus' birth is all about, you also can be reborn into a completely new kind of life. 
What do you have to do to step that direction? Believe him, accept him, receive him. That's what verse 12 teaches us. The world out there doesn't recognize Jesus. A lot of people reject Jesus. But to those who receive him, to those who believe, he gives the right to become children of God. So the nature of your relationship to Jesus Christ could be a familial one. You could be as close to God as Jesus is. You could be right there in the midst of divine love. That's what Jesus came to make possible for you if you put your faith in him. So I'd encourage you in these final moments just to close your eyes, bow your head, and um, just with the purpose of being able to be a little bit alone in your own thoughts and prayers here with the Lord. I just want to ask you a few questions to think about in the quietness of your own heart. The first one is the one we're asking on the screen. What is your relationship to Jesus Christ? If it's close, if it's rich, if it's joyful, then you can celebrate that. Right? Jesus brought near to you what everyone else thought was far away, and he made available what people thought would never be possible. You have a relationship with God that is personal. You might say, you know, I hear that, I wish that was true, but the honest answer in my heart is that I don't have a close relationship with Jesus. In fact, I don't know that I know him in a personal way at all. To you, I would point to verse 12 and say God is willing and desiring to bring you into his family to make you his child. And your step to take is to put your faith in Jesus. Not just to believe that he was around in history, but to trust him with your soul, with your life. To believe that he is the ultimate reality, the word that became flesh. So another question to ponder is if you've never made that decision to believe, would you be willing to make that decision right now? If not, what holds you back? If so, what will your next step be? Jesus, in our prayers to you, we demonstrate faith just by speaking out in your name, believing you to be alive and attentive to the things that we say and the things that are in our hearts. Lord, we believe, based on your word, that you came to this world, made yourself one of us, so that we could have a relationship with you, so that there could be a path for us to be redeemed and saved and brought to new life. From here, Lord, every one of us uh, wants to have the right relationship to you and with you. So I pray that you would guide us from here. Lord, for some of my friends in the room who have been longtime believers, this is a moment and a season when we can celebrate 
all the things that you made possible, the doors that you unlocked on that first Christmas morning. For others among us who haven't taken that step of faith yet, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would walk through the door that you've provided. That this would be a turning point to walk away from selfishness and sin and instead to embrace you as Lord and recognize your purpose for life. Lord, thank you for bringing heaven to earth. Thank you for making what was once far away very near and what was once seemingly impersonal very, very personal. We look forward to celebrating you throughout this holiday season. Lord, would you keep our hearts and minds fixed on the right things and focused in the right places. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. See you next week.